0: morning. This is Coffee with the Sarlows and I'm Karen.
1: I'm Kelly Sarlow and today we have a wonderful guest. We have veterinarian Karen Barnes with us today and uh, we're discussing some very exciting topics with her. First off is tea. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we're having tea with the Sarlows today. <laughs> yes,
0: just thought I'd throw that in yeah. there because so many people are tea lovers and um, you came in and uh, have, have uh, David's tea this, mor- uh, this morning. Funny. So welcome, Karen.
2: Thank you. Nice to be here. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, first, I just, I'm just going to start um, and say the reason I asked you here today is, uh, well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, one, because you're our veterinarian for Parker. Um, two, because you are open-minded and um, not everybody is. So you, you've, you have a love of animals and a love of healing. And we have a love of animals and a love of healing and humans too. So when Karen arrived today, my son was sitting on the couch <laughs> and she came in the door and she goes, she turns around to meet my son for the first time. And she goes, Hey, Andrew. And then she turns around and she sees Parker, our labradoodle in the kitchen. And she goes, oh, Parker." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, that is exactly Karen humans yeah you know they're good but but the animals you get excited about i do so for that, just that that whole character that you presented right there was you my my desire to have you come in and share what you know
2: oh that's very nice
0: and 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 what you don't know uh, because i love that part of you too uh, the fact that you're okay not knowing things um, experimenting, trying, using into your own intuitiveness, asking um the pets for their intuition to help you or the families that come in to see you, um, your coworkers, um, and ju- and just how you make caring for somebody's beautiful family member in the in the pet world um such a healing experience for the family too, not not just for the pet.
2: Well, it's been an, an interesting journey um, with this career, and it, it's kind of come full circle and and I guess we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but it certainly has evolved over time. and um, well, we can get started and we can we can talk a little bit about that. Um, i uh, I mean, became interested in veterinary medicine as a career as a teenager because I was a very science oriented uh, girl, and I, I liked the the biological sciences, and I also um, enjoyed my own animals. Uh, and ha- felt I had uh, a connection. I didn't really identify that as being anything different than anyone else. I came from a family that always had lots of pets um, but I felt I felt that I could I was more interested in helping animals than getting into human medicine, and that's interesting because as as we we talk, we'll see how that sort of changes a little bit but um, so as so it was a natural thing for me to want to get into veterinary medicine. So I went to the University of Guelph and did an undergraduate degree and then got accepted to veterinary school. And I thought initially I would be uh, doing large animal practice because I'd had horses as a young person. And that was, that had sort of driven me uh, partly to this career. Um, but ended I have ended up in small animal practice for a couple of reasons. A uh, school, uh, veterinary school is very um, academic oriented. So you, you need to learn microbiology, you need to learn how to do surgery, you need to learn uh, how to practice medicine and do diagnostic tests and be in the lab and do postmortems and all those things. And as a student, you become uh, preoccupied with the academic part of your career. So that when you come out and uh, practice, you're very book focused. I was always in my books, looking up things. and I got a l- not that I got distracted from what took me initially into veterinary medicine, but it was put on the back burner a little bit. I was uh, preoccupied with the science, preoccupied with making sure I did everything right, um, got the right diagnoses, and then as I started to feel more comfortable um, with the actual practice of veterinary medicine, I realized how my job became more, was also important for the people, the clients um, that owned the pets, and I, so my, not that my focus changed, I was still practicing good medicine, doing good surgery, but it came more naturally, and I started looking at the owners and how uh, what I was doing for my, for the pets was affecting them, um, uh, how the stress of their pet's illness uh, or surgical procedure, how, how it was impacting on the owner themselves and trying and learning to be empathetic about that. Uh, my own animal experiences uh, as well have helped me to become more empathetic to my client's needs and how they're feeling about their animals because... It, Animals can't speak, and and when they're ill, there's a feeling of panic, uh, because you as the owner often don't know what's going on. You're not sure if this is really serious or something that's easy to fix, and oftentimes have owners come in at the exam room, and you can sense sense they're a bit panicked about the situation. So that was an interesting transition. You know, still interested in the medicine and surgery because that's so much fun, but then I started to reflect on what was going on with with the owners of these animals. And then I had a few interesting experiences um, with my own animals related to um, connecting to them on a more spiritual level. And then I started uh, coming back to that, um, that feeling of connection with my patients. That was one of the reasons I pursued the career in the beginning. So now, so now I still do my physical exam, I still do Um, all the lab work that we need in x-rays etc but I try and stop and listen with all my senses to 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 the animal in the room and they can all often communicate things to you I don't even mean telepathically I just mean with their body posture uh, with their reaction to you Uh, there are subtle cues there that can help lead you in the right direction uh, and it's, it's become really fun now to, re, to reconnect with that feeling I had as a young teenager and trying to, trying to connect with the animals and listen to them a little bit more. So that's, that's where my career is at now.
0: Out of curiosity, how many years is that cycle? Ah,
2: uh, that would be, I'm 53, and probably my interest in veterinary medicine started when I was 14. Okay. So that's close to, close to 40 years. Right.
0: I, I, I like hearing that, Karen, because a lot of people don't know what their purpose is. Yeah. And and sometimes people think that the purpose is to be the veterinarian, but the purpose was for you to come full cycle mm-hmm. and for you to be who you are and fi- and to find it again.
2: Yeah.
0: And sometimes we get into jobs where we just think, what is the purpose of a career or whatever of this life? What I was was I supposed to do? Um, but you're talking about two different purposes, but that they come together. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and it's also, I mean, I'm extremely lucky in that I chose a profession that I love. So every day I go to work, it's always different. Sure. There's stresses, there's stresses, you know, when you can't, you can't figure out what's going on with an animal, you can't get it well, or you, or you or the client's frustrated, there's stresses, uh, where people can't afford the care for their pets, their stresses. But every day I go to work and I I love going because I know it's going to, there's always going to be something different. I'm hopefully going to be able to help someone, hopefully going to fi- learn something new today because I'm all, you're always learning. And um, I have, I have the luxury of being able to be all sorts of different medical people. I'm a pathologist. I'm a radiologist. I'm an internal medicine specialist. I'm a, I'm a psychologist. I'm a surgeon. And to be able to meld all those things together is really fun.
0: Can I add a friend?
2: Yeah, that's true too. It, like yeah. I think
0: about when we've had three different dogs in our, in our family's life. Um, and I think about each of the veterinarians that we have seen through through that course of time and how much i i needed them mm-hmm. um to see me as a friend to see my me as a human as you said earlier so they knew how i was feeling too mm-hmm. and um how important it is to feel supported by you in your profession f- for us
2: well it's it's challenging well, it's not challenging it's interesting i mean i have clients who have been with me for 25 years and their their kids have grown up and i I know their children and their children are coming to me now as adults with children and their pets and that there's that whole relationship. Then there's the other side, which is the client I've never seen before who comes in and, uh, you know, maybe I put their hand on their, on the dog and doing my physical exam and I realize quite quickly there's something very serious and potentially life threatening going on with this animal. And I don't have, I have no relationship with these poor people that I'm going to have to give a tentative negative diagnosis to and how, how do you, how do you, how can they trust you in that moment? So that there's those, those mm-hmm. two sides of the client relationship and everything else in between and all of them have a very emotional component to them.
1: I also wanted to add in teacher because you gave a really long list of, of wonderful, um, I'll say job titles that you play every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know every time I go in the the exam room with Parker, um, I like to see you as a friend and, and many of the things that you've just listed, but you teach me every time I go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's so much patience that you have for the, the animal and the human, uh, which I just think is remarkable because well, I think we all know how easy it is to lose our patience with either one of them um but i i learn something new every time i'm there mm-hmm. whether it's about my animal or it's about the way i conduct myself that's affecting my animal
2: well yeah that's a very good point and and one thing i've i've learned is the the best thing you can do i can do as in my profession is be in the moment with with the client in front of me and the animal in front of me and um also to try and provide as much information as possible because communication communicating what you're doing, what, uh, how you're doing it, what might be going on with the pet is all really important uh, for the client to understand what expectations there are, um, w- whether this is something um, that's going to have a, a bunch of possible outcomes or whether it's going to be straightforward to relieve them of, of the stress of uh, anticipating something bad. So the, there's a whole communication piece with veterinary medicine as well. And it can be challenging because sometimes you're trying to communicate with people who who can't focus because they're they're concerned about their dog's health. And so there's lots of different ways we do that. We do that verbally. We often do it with uh, communication articles. Um, I'll actually physically write things down for them or draw pictures because everybody communicates in a different way and everybody's going to um, process what I have to tell them in a different way. So there's lots of different, and I'm a very a visual person. So I like to draw pictures of things.
0: <laughs> okay, Karen, like, I think this is amazing, because I think about what you're talking about in how many different forms you think about your client as a learner. Mm-hmm. And I think about medicine in other ways. So I'll say for human beings, but I won't pick on any particular field. And I think that how very little or how few tools that they use sometimes mm-hmm. in that they will say you need to, now mind you i can say my physiotherapist is not like that because she sits down on the floor and gets into the position and shows me how to lift my leg right and what 90 degrees means in a certain position but there are other fields in our healthcare system that talk to us mm-hmm. but don't go beyond that to think that if we don't understand that that's not their responsibility mm-hmm oh, they only have enough time just to say it once and get out.
2: Yeah, that's right. And then
0: you're talking about the fact that you take your time to figure out what's best for that client so that the the pet that you're helping, their loved one, their family member, is going to have their needs met. Mm-hmm. You are going farther than most medical people I can think of.
2: Well, I try and remind myself, too, that uh, that these people are coming in, first of all, because they want some help, but they're spending their hard earned cash to see me. And so, so I, it, my responsibility in this relationship is to give you, to give you everything I can for the, for what you're being charged. Because we don't, there are a few people that have pet insurance, but not everybody that most people don't. So they they have made the commitment to come in and, um, pay for that office visit. My commitment is then to give them as much as I can in that, in that allotted time. Um, and uh so I'm trying to keep that on my radar as well.
1: I know that in my own stress, and I haven't even experienced something traumatic with my dog yet, um, I have that visual to take home with me and remember things as I process it in my own time because my stress maybe at the time of the visit is too high to remember all of the information that's right, mm-hmm. so those tools that you provide are incredible at different times in our lives as the human uh, when we're ready to to really hear the information, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody's different.
1: I have a question.
2: Okay.
0: Um, (laughs) Do you have, have you noticed in your career, Karen, that uh, is there any correlation between the pet and their owner and their diseases and their personalities? Now, that's, those are two questions. Sorry. Um, And I'll let you go
2: wherever you want with that. Okay, so I am not surprised at this stage in my career when a pet and an owner have the same medical condition so certainly recognize that that happens um I also see things in pets sometimes that I wonder if it is a reflection of the mental or physical state of the human uh uh, that I don't really have any scientific uh idea of why that is um but it is an observation is that helpful
0: (laughs) it is and and um I ask it for a reason there was a a a very good friend of mine who was a a nurse who passed uh, away um with cancer and um she said to me one day well it was my turn she said, I'm finally taking responsibility for all of my own emotional problems. I'm finally dealing with something. This was her interpretation. Mm-hmm. And she said, I have lost several pets to this same medical condition. It's my turn. And that was yeah. her interpretation of sharing the energy, I'll say, or mm-hmm. sharing sharing the good and the bad. I don't know how anybody wants to word this, you know, because like you said, it's not all scientific. Um, but she had a very strong awareness that the, that her extended family, her pets, and she had cats and dogs, um, all had, all had the same illnesses when they passed Mm -hmm. and that now she did too. And it didn't, it wasn't escaping her awareness that there was a bigger meaning behind that. And somebody else might not agree with that. That's okay. I'm not saying that everybody has to agree with this. I just asked you the question because I see it quite often Mm -hmm. and I know how much our pets took on our stress, whether, you know, for whatever the reasons there's stress in a family, that our pets took that on and then had their own medical issues because of it.
2: Well, and I I think certainly stress, it's been well shown, um, has implications physically uh, on physiology, both human and animal. Um I was going to say something really important and I forgot. <laughs> Oh, this so happens
1: to us all the time.
0: And <laughs> you know what? We're gonna make you sit in it for are a minute. You?
2: Okay. Absolutely. Because okay. you know
0: what, Karen? Think.
2: Oh yes, I know I remember now. There,
0: see? Okay. And as soon as as soon as you are I think sometimes as soon as we forget and then we're we're given permission and we don't have to rush into the next thing when you know you're being truly heard, you can relax and the memory comes back. So have at her. So it's just
2: not it's not just menopause. <laughs> Well, I was saying it nicely. (laughs) Okay. No, what I was going to say is that I, um, both personally and professionally see animals react, whoops, react acutely to their people's stress. And I'll give you an example of that in a minute. And I also see them act chronically, physically to their, their people's, uh, stress or disease. So just as an example, this is just something that came up actually yesterday for me. I purchased a new horse and he's a calm, cool, really neat guy, and uh, nothing seems to faze him. I was at the barn last night with him, and one of the ladies at the barn came in, and she was very flustered, and uh, had some really sort of erratic energy about her, and he put his head up, and his eyes went open, and he he took on a very alert and protective posture, and seemed very anxious. Uh, Her and I had a discussion, just about a couple things, and then she left, and he completely relaxed, and I thought, I was just. This probably happened lots of times, but I was an observer in this um, yesterday of of what his reaction was to her level of stress, mm-hmm. and I thought that was that was really interesting to to watch it amplify and then decline. So yeah, I, I, horses especially, horses and cats actually, uh, I find. Very uh, responsive to stress levels. So for instance when I when I go in to see a cat in an exam room the first thing I do is try and calm myself. So center myself, calm myself. I try and go into the room quietly not to uh, stimulate that cat's sympathetic nervous system and have it be fearful or anxious and I talk to the owner and and purposely ignore the cat. I might pat it, but I don't I don't pay it much attention until it becomes comfortable with the fact that I'm there. Uh, probably 50 to 60% of cats come into the animal hospital frightened, uh, on the verge of potentially being aggressive if overstimulated. That's just their nature, their carnivore. And if I can come into the room with a calm presence and reduce any erratic energy in that room I can probably examine that cat I can get it vaccinated and and I'm very respectful of the fact that that cat can keep it together in that moment
1: that is so cool because mm. that
2: poor cat's instinct is to want to kill me right is that what you meant by its
1: carnivore
2: yeah yeah okay so it's natural instinct when something threatens it is to go for it and so I'm I'm a threat. We do this horrible thing in the, in the exam room. We put the owner on one side, we put the cat in the middle, and we put me on the other side. And I'm, I'm coming at that animal to examine it, but I'm also coming at the owner. How stressful is that? And meanwhile, what, the, what that poor cat has had to do is it's had to go in a crate in the car, very sensory animal, very uh, acute sense of smell, sight, hearing. We've taken it in a car past everything possibly visual, uh, all these smells, all these sounds... Uh, how horrifying for an animal that's that sensitive. And then we've plunked it in a room where other anxious cats have been, right?
0: And they can pick up on those senses. Those
2: pheromones, yeah. you call, They're called pheromones? They're called pheromones, Karen, yeah. Karen, thank you. Yeah. And uh, so another thing we do at our hospital is we we actually use a little, a little piece of a yoga mat that we've cut and we spray it with um, a cat pheromone that's a calming pheromone. And we purposely leave the owner and the cat in that room for about five minutes so that cat can can sense that pheromone and relax so you leave
0: the cat the cat
2: your patient and the owner owner, for five five minutes minutes purposely purposely before I go into the room
0: see and I think that's so important to know if I'm a first-time cat buyer and didn't know that I might think you're being late
2: yeah so we try to explain that to people yeah Mm So, and horses are very similar. So I used to, for example, I used to do a sport called eventing. And eventing has three components in it. It has dressage, which is sort of the gymnastic riding. has stadium jumping, which everybody understands from Ian Miller and all the famous Canadians that jump jumper courses. And then it has this event in it called cross country, where you ride really, really fast at a gallop over uh, fences that look very natural uh, in a prescribed time period. So it's, it's very fast. It's very high energy. It's very adrenalizing. Uh, And there's a phenomenon that riders are very aware of that if if one horse has refused to jump on that cross-country course, he leaves his scary pheromones behind. And then probably many, many horses thereafter will refuse that jump because they sense the pheromone of the frightened horse that came before them. Hmm. So horses, horses are, that's just one example of how sensitive they are. I'm
1: laughing at her like drop jaw right now. <laughs> well, my jaw is dropped because
0: every time you talk, I like I just find you fascinating. So when you say stuff like that, I'm constantly thinking about the animals. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about all the rest of nature. I'm mm-hmm. thinking about trees. I'm thinking about... Um, fish. Mm -hmm. I think about animals when they're going to be killed so we can eat them. I'm thinking about humans Mm -hmm. and pharaohs when we go into Northgate, when we Mm -hmm. go into a mall, when we go into a a, a hospital, a Mm -hmm. doctor's office, anything, any kind of environment, whether it's a good one, or it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. But so I have a question. Um, Can it go both ways, Karen? Can it be uh, like, if you're super excited as well that you leave it as well or is it when it's fear driven
2: uh fear the, with the fear pheromones are definitely uh on our radar but they're also calming pheromones so for instance that pheromone that we use uh on the cat pad in the cat room is a pheromone a mother cat makes intuitively and naturally to calm her kittens oh yeah
0: this so much <laughs> i think it's like i just think about when people come into our home for energy treatments and how they just hit our front door and take a breath and go oh, yeah what is it about your house and then i think oh now i know thanks to karen Barnes, i know what the hell's going on <laughs> you're releasing calming ceremony yeah <laughs> we apparently we are so the, I, I just think it's lovely because there are humans that do this Yeah. And there are humans that do the exact opposite of because of their stress levels and their own anger issues, that they do walk around doing those things.
2: Well, they, I think we all can appreciate when you're with someone who's stressed, how you, if you're not very conscious of, of what that's doing to you, you can allow that to affect you, right? And it's exactly the same with animals. Um, and, And the opposite, if you are in the presence of someone who's got a very calming demeanor, Uh, it has a calming effect on you. So here's an interesting, interesting little tidbit. Uh, When cats purr, they've, they've shown that the frequency of the cat purr has a calming effect on the human. So I was, I had a little bit of a a stressful weekend because I've, I've bought a new horse and he was quite sick and I was trying to relax and just after I'd been at the barn all day and what my cat did at home was he climbed up on my chest and started to purr Mm -hmm. and that had a beautiful calming effect on me Mm -hmm. so it works both ways right yeah yeah
1: Yeah. I just that to me that's just tremendous love yeah that makes me so happy and I wanted to add something and not with the intention of going backwards but um When when I've come in with Parker for his just regular checkups and whatnot, um, there was one particular instance where he got really um, nervous and he was shaking. And my my initial reaction was what's going on? This isn't my dog Mm because he's usually very calm. And I think. I can get nervous saying that to you in the exam room because I feel like I'm just using a cliche, like my dog's usually so calm, right? <laughs> Who's going to believe me? Um, but again, through education, I think you had said to me, oh, we did a couple of surgeries this morning. There's been a lot of high-stressed animals in the building. He's mm-hmm. probably just picking up on that. Mm-hmm it allows the owner in that, in that moment, my, which was myself at that time, um, to calm down and to just really understand what's going on energetically, uh, and to not take on concern and worry for myself and my own pet, Mm -hmm. uh, but to to really understand the whole picture. And I think we forget the whole picture Mm -hmm. when we see odd behaviors.
2: That's right. We, we, we focus on what we see and we forget about what's all around. And sometimes the best thing you can do is take a deep breath. And center your own energy in the moment and not allow yourself to, to get amplified because your pet's going to read off that and it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and uh, I mean, for me, having to work with animals that are stressed sometimes, sometimes it works. There are times when it doesn't. But it's always uh, worth considering um, is, is how am I affecting the situation?
0: So you're questioning um, your own intention and your own energy. Yeah.
2: And I think I've learned that sort of part of the, of the process I've learned from riding because horses, they're, pre- they're a prey species, right? So they're alert to everything and they really feed off your energy. If you're fearful, they become fearful. So when you're riding and you're in a, in a, on a situation that feels a little unfamiliar, you're a little vulnerable, the best thing to do is take a deep breath relax into the saddle, and your horse will relax. The worst thing to do is to tighten up, hold your breath, because your horse is going to feel it. So that and riding's taught me a lot of interesting things about how to communicate with animals, but that's probably one of the most profound.
0: Well, it sounds like you also joyfully took that lesson into your personal life in dealing with the, pa- with the owners too.
2: Yeah, and, my, and even uh, issues <coughs> personally that I've had Within my own family, that have been stressful, or confrontation that's been uncomfortable, or um, situations with my teenage daughter that maybe could have amplified into something that would have not been productive. I'll let the lesson is sort of to take a deep breath, center myself, and and calm my energy to allow me to deal with whatever the situation is. And i I think i I think i that's helped me. In other ways in my job, there's a lot of emergency work that we do and there's no value in getting stressed or uptight about dealing with an emergency situation. Again, the best thing to do is to take a deep breath, focus, and be in the moment. And I, and I, I think as a result of that, emergency work is, is kind of a favorite fun thing of mine.
0: Well, I can imagine it would be when you have the tools to cope with that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Kelly and I talk about if you have the right tools for relationships, they're yeah. fun to be in. That's right. If you don't have the right uh, the re- right tools for them, then that's typically when you get into disliking, lack of trust, all kinds of other issues, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So can you tell me about, or can I ask questions still? For or sure, do you want yeah. To? Oh, okay. Um,
2: Aurora. Oh, Aurora. Okay. So Aurora. Okay. Uh, <laughs> see, all I had to do is say the name. <laughs> I'm so happy because I don't know these stories. So I'm, just, I'm just sitting here so happy to listen. So Aurora is uh, a mare, a female horse that I um, sort of fell, we, we fell into a relationship, her and I. Uh, my neighbor had this horse that needed to be uh, we used to call it broke. Now we call it trained. Um, and asked me if I would help with it. And of course I fell in love with this young mare and, uh, ended up, she ended up as my horse and, uh, I had her for 11 years. And over that time period, her and I have had probably the greatest, uh, human animal connection that I've ever had. Uh, she's very sensitive to my emotions. Um, and, uh, And I lost her recently, actually, and um, mm, I should probably backtrack, shouldn't I? Uh, About a year and a half ago, she was quite ill, and um, a colleague of mine who's an excellent equine surgeon and medical guy who I'd used for many things, very well respected, uh, was having real trouble figuring out what was going on with her, and he, one day he said to me, I don't know how open you are to this, but would you would you consider talking to an animal communicator? And I went, Wow, that's interesting. So from this very analytical guy. and i I, I was at my wits end. I needed we needed to find an answer, and and all our diagnostics were not providing us with anything. Um, so I contacted um, a woman I know who's a veterinarian and also an animal communicator. And she led us uh, through the process of finding a diagnosis for this mare, Marin. Uh, we, through that, um, were able to do a life-saving surgical procedure on her. And uh, she did very, very well for a long period of time. And that was a bit of a turning point for me uh, in understanding and accepting that there are other senses and things that we maybe don't, we don't even have to understand them. Uh, to have them as resources and tools uh, to kind of help us in our journey. And so so as a scientist, initially I was I, I had to accept what I was hearing because it was my only resource. but as a scientist, I questioned it, of course, right I questioned how how can she know this? how can she how can she be telling me these things and we're finding out they're true this doesn't make sense. So I had a little bit of a journey in researching for myself, um, how these things could be happening, and i, I think through some of my research, I've—I've, I've, I my teeter totter of science versus spirituality, spirituality has come to an equilibrium, and I think the two have a place in my life now. Um, and I had—I I decided to challenge this spiritual connection with my horse communicator and uh, started asking her to help me. To communicate with my horses with respect to training issues and that was that was profoundly interesting and and through her my horses taught me how to w- through my riding communicate with them better and um, with my mare who was a fairly uh, highly trained horse um, we got to the point where I just had to think things sometimes and she would do them and I know I was affecting my body and in, in probably a very subtle way um that but it was really interesting and unfortunately that mare uh passed away a few months ago and um even that process was very has been very interesting for me and how um this mare has come back to me in a whole bunch of different ways in the last couple of months uh to help guide me through to to now a new horse that I have very interesting uh
0: do you feel like any less competent as a veterinarian because you have opened yourself up to an intuitive part?
2: No, because because the science is still there for me. Um it's just this is just another tool. It's another tool.
0: Karen, I love it because you're basically saying you don't have to throw away a piece of who you are. Uh, a part of the left brain or uh, whatever you want to refer to it as your intelligence or your learning or your life experience to love another part of who you are
2: no they're not mutually exclusive right they're they're, they work nicely synchronously together uh and they're, they're they're both equally important um and who knows where this will lead from here on it's interesting it's an interesting journey so how does she show up in your life
0: now? Oh, well,
2: <laughs> um, when she was ill initially, and, and <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. So the, the, I, I'm in 100% with the, with the horse communicator. I'm, I'm up to my armpits in this because I need to be because I want to save this horse. And uh, she says to me, you can help your horse out. She's down at the surgical facility. You can help her out. She wants you to think of rainbows over her intestine because she had a, an intestinal surgery. She wants you to think of rainbows. She wants you to to meditate and think about rainbows. And so I okay, I'm committed to this. I, I you know I don't I don't really know what this is about, but I'm committed to this process. Okay, now lie on my bed. and I'm gonna think about rainbows. And I can't think about rainbows. It's just not working. I can't think about rainbows. So I close my eyes and all I see is bright white light. And I think okay, well I'm gonna go with bright white light because that's all I got. So I lie there and I think about bright white light over her intestines okay I'm committed to this and uh um so I do that and and the mare's getting better and and all's well and I I, I'm still in communication with the horse communicator all the time and she says to me Aurora just wants to tell you that she's really appreciative of all the white light you've been sending (laughs) like really and she said yeah I said you know I couldn't you told me to think of rainbows I couldn't think of rainbows all I could all I could think of was white light and she said that's what she got and um she also said the communicator said to me she wants she wants you to understand and give you some validation of this and she Aurora wants to, wants to validate this experience for you and she just wants to tell you She says, I don't know what this means but she just wants to tell you she really likes the red sweater you've been wearing I started to laugh and I thought and she says, have you been wearing a red sweater to the barn? And I said, yes, I have. I, it was in the middle of the winter. I was freezing cold up there, all the spending hours and hours with the sick horse. Um, and I went to Mark's work Warehouse and bought a, a big fleecy red sweater. And I've been wearing it to the barn. And <laughs> my, my horse communicated that through, through my friend Kathy, who lives in Manitoulin Island of all places and had never even met me or my horse. So that was a bit of validation for me, uh, and and so uh, Kathy was as I progressed with this. She taught me some str- uh, strategies to to try and communicate with my horse um, through through my right brain, and one one technique was to put my hands on either side of her neck, and to sort of she would always melt into me. The horse when I did this anyway. Um, and try and calm myself, take a few deep breaths, and and I would see some color, and that's how I now com- continue to have some connection. Is I would get this vibrant ultraviolet light. I can only describe it as being not in my eye, but in my inner eye, and um, and so that that bright purple light was always my my perceived connection with my horse. And even though she's passed, I, I, I will still, when I'm meditating, cause I've meditated my whole life, um, I will still get that purple light from her. Mm-hmm. That That's an interesting story too, meditation. So when I, when I was a little kid and my room was really scary, I developed a little system as a six-year-old. I would put all my stuffed animals around my bed and I would lie in my bed and I would, I would focus on my body and my breathing. I didn't know what I was doing. And I I would make my feet go to sleep and then my legs go to sleep and then my thighs go to sleep. And and that is so cool. And eventually I was calm and I'd go to sleep. And so as a teenager, when I was stressed with teenage life, like what was I gonna wear tomorrow? Or, you know, what were my friends (laughs) going to say? Um, I would do the same technique. In university when I was stressed about exams, I would do the same technique. And it wasn't until my thirties that I realized that what I was doing was meditating mm-hmm. so I, I've, I've, I've been very lucky to have this my whole life as a way to deal with things that are stressful so I know how to do it and so when things were stressful with this horse that's what I did and then that's what came to me so so yeah I get nice big blotches of purple light when I'm meditating and that's mm-hmm. that's her her saying it's okay everything's fine hmm
1: um, in my coaching practice in particular, I always talk to parents and clients about, um, the two fundamental things that we need as humans, but ultimately all as, as animals as well. And that's safety and love. Yeah. And every time that you were talking, well, sorry, not every time, but as you were talking about putting different parts of the body to sleep mm-hmm. and then doing this with your horse, all I get is safety and love and what mm-hmm. you, what you were able to give, um,
2: I'll say to your girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what she gave to me, too, because she gave me the same thing.
0: I think a lot of children um, have the ability to know how to Mm -hmm. self-soothe. And sometimes as adults, we take it out of them. So to hear you say that you learned how to do that and you managed to come through into your 50s and still keep that part of you alive and healthy and validated and loved is a beautiful thing. So if other people are hearing that they might be sparked to thinking of what they did mm-hmm. or what they do know how to do uh, and that it is okay. It's not it's not immaturity. It's childlike behavior that's healthy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we mix up being childlike with being immature. Mm-hmm. But they don't they, they are two different things.
2: Well, you have no there's no judgment when you're a 6-year-old doing mm. that. Right. yeah there's no judgment you're you're just doing it because it's what works for you mm-hmm. whereas an adult you know if you told told someone in the grocery store on the line behind you oh, i'm just gonna go lie down and uh, <laughs> meditate and see my purple light for half an hour when i get home after i put my groceries away they may look at you and judge you right yes but as a six-year-old in bed surrounded by my stuffed toys my snoopy and <laughs> <laughs> there's no judgment there exactly okay
0: can we keep going? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So um, you, I'm backing up a little bit. Just in that you were talking about um, using your intuition to feel things. And I, I wanted to come to the point at some point during this discussion that as a veterinarian, you acknowledge these this ability within yourself within the animals the connectiveness if you want to call Mm -hmm. it that there's a lot of different words we can put to all of this experience um and I I I think it's important to bring up Karen because just even for me personally to say thank you because I have an intuitiveness about my pets my dog and I know so many people who believe they do too And that they have such an intimate relationship with their pet more than any human for some of them. Mm -hmm. And they prefer it that way too, but that they have that where they believe their animal knows them best or that they know their pet best and they have that connection. So I'm happy to know that when I come to see you, that you get that.
2: Well, it's really important because, because as the owner, you have a routine with that pet every day. And I, I get a lot of people coming and say, I, "I don't really know. There's just something. It just seems quiet today. Uh, she didn't. She only ate a third of her kibble, kibble where she'd really she'd usually eat the whole bowl." And I just I have a sense that something's not right. So I respect that because because the owner is the is the best uh, judge of the subtle changes that could be the tip of the iceberg in terms of a disease process. So I'm always very respectful of uh, somebody's subtle, not subtle interpretation, of the, of the subtle changes that they notice in their animal. That's a significant thing. That's
0: one of the biggest things that we get and want to go in and say to, to you, to the professional, but we're afraid of looking like idiots. Yeah. We're afraid that you're not going to believe us, but you're flat out saying that it's one of the things
2: that you respect. And and sometimes there is nothing going on. Say maybe the the dog's had a just an off day, you know, ate ate some deer poop in the yard or something and it just isn't feeling that great. But as you have to look at the you have to look at the owner and 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 say what, are you guys relating to you that? Laughing I'm, I'm laughing that. because if people are listening
1: anywhere other than Northern oh, Ontario, yeah. they might not understand no. why we would have access to deer poop in our that's backyard. True. That's true. But, but everyone here in Northern Ontario would be like, oh yeah, that's yeah, yeah,
2: happened. Yeah. Well, yeah, every day. Yeah. It's either deer or moose. Or moose. <laughs> um, so so, if nothing else, I'm gonna the dog's going to come in, we're going to do a physical exam. It might be normal. We might do a little bit of blood work. It might be It might be normal. But then you as the owner can go, ah, this is just a moment. I can, I can ride with this for a day and let's see what happens because everything's okay. Um, there's something else I was going to say that was important there. The, I think the other important thing is that the animal can't communicate verbally to you. And as an, as an owner, you develop that relationship. You develop that physical relationship with your pet. So you're more in tune to those physical changes than you would be with a person who you have a verbal relationship with. And you, you, you can rely on the fact that they're going to, the, your, your husband or your daughter's going to say, my tummy doesn't feel well today, or I've got a headache where you don't have that verbal com- communication with your pet. So you're more tuned into the physical things.
0: Same thing with babies
2: exactly the same so you
0: have what we call the mother's intuition or Mm -hmm. the father's intuition and we think that that's okay to follow until the child can communicate and then it's like all of a sudden it's dead yeah that intuitiveness died by the way as soon as your kid opened its mouth and could communicate yeah it's too bad and it's not true it's so not true and i love the fact that you're bringing that up that this is a part of our human experience that when we have a pet we are allowed to continue that kind of a relationship and communication skill for the rest of our life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's neat, eh? Ah,
2: I think it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of the reason pets are so, well. There's a bunch of reasons pets are so important to us. But there's the 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 uh, companionship. Uh, there's the fact that the it's love that from your pet that comes unconditionally, but it's also this ability to connect in a way that sometimes you can't with other people. Cause there's too much other baggage, right? Mm-hmm. There's too much other stuff involved with your pet. It's simple. And, and the connection can be quite simple. Mm-hmm.
0: Are we going to say that you're going to come back again? <laughs>
2: I'd love to come back again. This is fun. Yay. Good.
0: Okay. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Um, and Karen, we have, uh, we always invite the listeners to email us. Um, so when they listen to the podcast, if they want to ask you questions, um, they can send us an email and we can forward them to you Ooh, so that great. when you come back for another show, you can take a look at the questions and decide which ones are all or whatever that you want to answer, whether some of them are personal or they're about some of the stories you told or, you know, mm-hmm, whatever sure. you think is appropriate. So,
1: our email is? Our email is infobysarlo.com. And she passed that so eloquently off to me because she never remembers <laughs> it. <laughs> But I wanted to say thank you for letting me be a listener today. Because um, it was just really joyful to hear you tell your stories. Oh, thanks. And Kelly. and I think, yeah, and I think mm-hmm. too, um, I know how thankful I am when I walk into the clinic and how comfortable it is for me and because of all of your staff as well. Um, and not just about what I learn, but what I feel. Oh, what what you nice. allow us to feel is incredible. Oh, so well, that's, thank
2: you. That's part of what we try to do. I mean, everybody fails at it. <laughs> an In individual <laughs> times but we try to make it a comfortable calm uh place for people to be
1: yeah so thank you for being a part of this show today oh thank you for having me we look forward to the next time okay bye bye, bye.